Um, and we're going to be in John chapter 10 today, so at some point, if you have your Bibles and you want to get there before we all get there, go ahead and uh, open that up to John chapter 10. Uh, but as you just heard Danny mention, I'm going to kind of quickly catch us all up again. Uh, we are in this series called I Am. It's actually the last week of this series. It's been uh, three weeks, a four-week series, and so today we're wrapping it up. And this series is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about this question that's been asked for 2,000 years since he's walked the earth and, and to this day. And people are asking this question, who exactly is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And why does it matter? Okay? Why does it matter how I respond or how I answer that question? Who is Jesus? How does it affect my life? Does it affect my life? Do I care? Should I care? Who is Jesus? And so this series, I Am, we're looking at who, what does Jesus say about who he is, right? When you ask, someone asks you, man, who are you? How do you respond to that? And Jesus is going out. He gives these seven I Am statements. And so we're looking at four of them. And today we're going to wrap it up with our fourth one, I Am, the gate. But week one, we talked about Jesus says this statement. He makes this I Am statement. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And we said, man, we all have things that we hunger for in life, right? We all go through moments and seasons of our lives where we have this deep longing for something, for something to satisfy our souls. And so Jesus says, man, I am that one. I am the bread of life. I am the one that would deep, bring satisfaction to your deepest longings. I am the bread of life. And in week two, we said, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And we talked about, man, there's no doubt you don't have to convince one another that we live in a darkened world, a world that's suffering, that's hurting, where there's pain and there's suffering outside of the world and this, outside of this, these walls and inside these walls here in this room. That we don't have to be convinced that our lives, is, uh, there's pain and there's suffering, there's darkness outside and within us. And we said that Jesus comes and he shines his light, he illuminates the darkness and he brings light to our life and to our world, that he is the light of the world. And last week, Easter Sunday, we talked about, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. We talked about how Jesus died on the cross, right? But he did not remain in the grave. He conquered death so that you and I can also conquer death and live eternally with him in the presence of God. I am the resurrection and the life. And so today we're looking at this last I am statement. Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the gate. And so that's found in John chapter 10. Uh, we're going to look at, for some context, we really, that verse is verse 9 in John chapter 10, but we're going to look back at John 1 through 10. We'll also maybe uh, just kind of briefly recap uh, chapter 8 and, and chapter 9 as we get to chapter 10, just so we have a full picture of what's going on. All right, so if you open up your Bibles, we're really going to be in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Um, if you have your Bibles, take that up. If you don't, if you have a Bible app, you can find that on the Bible app. Guys, we try to cover all bases, all right? And so if you have a Bible app, you can go on uh, that version app and type in, go to events, type in Swerve Church, and you'll find us there. All right, if you don't find us there, go to Facebook, look on our Swerve Church page, and you'll find today's notes there. Guys, we're trying to make this as simple as possible for you. So if you're visiting with us today, man, we would love for you to follow along. Um, if you wish to do so with the bulletins in front of you, um, also if you want to use it on your Bible app, you can do that as well. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to chap John chapter 10, verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. So I'll read that for us, and let's go into God's Word now. You guys are ready? We're good? All right, cool. See, the heads are down. That means some people, you guys are in the Word. And so let's go ahead and take it from verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his, his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them the figure of speech for what? They did not understand what he was telling them. So again, in verse 7, Jesus said again, Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Verse 9, this is our verse for the day. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Verse 10, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, as we look into your word, Lord. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity to learn from you. We have an opportunity to hear and to, to get together and to hear your word and to learn from your word. And so we pray that, God, we would do so today, um, Lord, in a way that brings glory to your name. And so we pray that everything that's of you, that's spoken, Lord, would grow. And everything that's not of you, God, would quickly die. It's our prayer, Lord, that Jesus be magnified. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And thank you for praying with me. And so, man, I mean, let me just say this, right? We live in a day and age, right, where um, it's becoming less and less... Uh, acceptable to hold some type of exclusive claim to something, right? To say that what you have is truth is, is often called in the now day and age you're, you're being narrow-minded, right? You're, 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 you're being full of, you're full of hatred, right? We live in a day and age where truth is kind of subjective. It's based on your opinion and some person's perspective or their feelings and, and how it, it just relates to them. And uh, it's what's good for you, right? It's good for you, but it's good for me. It's good for me. And, and your truth is not my truth. It's the standard of true and false, right? Wrong, good, bad, right? It's all their standards. It's not better than the next person's standards of what is good and what is bad, or what is evil, what is truth, and what is what is good, right? This is the essence of what was called relativism, right? Relativists teach that there is no truth, and so that what this has, so what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? It has everything to do because what we just read, Jesus is making a statement. He's saying, "I am the gate. I am the gate." He's making a definitive statement. It is a strong statement. It's a powerful statement about who he is. And so if you're hearing this today and you're hearing Jesus' words, man, we are faced with this challenge. Do you believe what he says? Do you believe what he says? Because it's a powerful statement. So powerful so that, that as much as you read on in John chapter 10, you will see that the Jews who were amongst him listening, they were divided over what he was saying. Right? They, were, they went up in arms and so, so that some of them were saying, man, Jesus, this guy, he is demon-possessed. He is full of a demon speaking like that. Right? They were so divided it's because it's such a powerful claim of Jesus making about who he is. And so I want to look at, take a closer look at this I am statement today. And I invite you to come to your own conclusion of Jesus' statement. Is he demon-possessed? Is he a lunatic? Or is he who he says he is? Is he just a good teacher? Is he one way amongst many ways to God? Right? Sort of like climbing a mountain. You've probably heard this said this way. You climb a mountain as many ways up that mountain and you just get to the top, right? Is Jesus just one way to get to God? Or is he who says or is he who he says he is? I am the gate. Before we get into our text in chapter 10, we read about in chapter 8 the story, Jesus saying that he is the light of the world. And this comes, this comes right after the Pharisees bring to Jesus this lady, this woman who, who they caught in the act of adultery. Right? They call her in the act of adultery, and they bring, him, bring her to Jesus, and they're expecting Jesus to, to condemn her and to stone her to death, because that's what the law would approve at that time. 
And so they bring her to Jesus and, and they tell Jesus, look what we've caught her in the act. What should you do? And then Jesus kneels down. And I love this story. We don't know what he writes in the, in the sand, but he starts writing and he gets up and he looks up and he says this. He says to them, who whichever among you have not sinned should throw the first stone. And then he looks up and he kneels down. And he writes some more. And one by one, what begins to happen? They start to walk away. Right? They're angry and they're like, oh, this guy. And they, I wonder what he wrote, but we don't know. But they start to walk away. And again, though, later on in the same chapter, the, the crowd gathers again, including the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious teachers, the religious leaders of that time. They were the, sheep, the shepherds. They were the ones who had the, the religious authority. And they began to challenge Jesus, and they began to challenge his claims of who he is. And this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees gets really heated, um, and it really takes on this whole other level as Jesus reveals that he is from the Father. And he says, man, you don't know that I'm from the Father because guess what? You're not of the Father. And he goes even further, and this hurt. He goes, man, your father is of the devil. Your father is of the devil. He's straight out telling me, you don't know who I am because your father is not my father. Your father is the devil. Things are surely here heating up between Jesus and the Pharisees. And then we read in chapter 9 about a blind man, and Jesus uh, encounters him, and he heals this blind man. Right, he was born blind, and he was known in the neighborhood as a beggar, just you know, in the streets and begging for money and begging for help. And he's there, and Jesus heals him. And so this blind man then goes and he goes to his neighborhood, and he begins to share his testimony of Jesus healing him. People are seeing, and they are flipping out. Right? I mean, just imagine. You know this guy. He's known in the neighborhood. He's blind. You know he's born, he was born blind, and all of a sudden he's not blind. He's walking around. And he's seeing you, and he and he's sharing his testimony. It's crazy. Right. And the people are going nuts and they're like, man, what are we doing with this? And so their response is we're going to take them to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the, the shepherds, the one that we can go to for an answer because that, that they're in that position of power. So they bring them to the Pharisees and they're like, man, they share what's going on. And they want to know, what does this mean about Jesus? Tell us, Pharisees, what does this mean about Jesus? If he healed this man, what should we do about Jesus? Like, shouldn't we all like follow Jesus now? Like, what was the deal? What we should do? And the response of the Pharisees we read is not one of rejoicing over this man who was born blind and now is healed. It's not the response that we would expect for our religious leaders to rejoice and to celebrate over the testimony of, of one of their sheep who was blind and now sees. But instead they continue to question this blind man and they grow more and more angry as he shares the testimony of Jesus' healing. So much so that we read that they throw him out of the synagogue. They throw him out of the synagogue, and they are upset, and they're growing more and more angry as they hear the testimony of Jesus. And that's how we get to our text today in John chapter 10. In verse 5, verses 1 through 5, excuse me, Jesus gives this picture of a shepherd now leading his sheep. And this is in the presence of the Pharisees who are listening in at this time as well. And he gives this picture of the shepherd in, in leading his sheep into a sheep pen through an entry point. Now, this, is, this takes some work for us as city folk, right? We don't kind of get this idea of a shepherd and sheep and leading them into the sheep pen. And so I'm going to kind of quickly explain that a sheep pen um, that Jesus speaks of is made up of stones that were just laid up and stacked up around until they meet, until it got to this narrow entry point. All right. And so in the evening time, when, when things were getting late, the shepherd would guide his sheep inside the entry point. And so there was one way in, one way out. And so he would guide them in right, into that so that they can have protection and shelter. And then what would happen is the shepherd himself will lay down at the narrow entry point, acting as the gate for that sheep pen, making sure that whatever try to get in will have to go through him. Whatever try to leave will have to go through him. Right. And so Jesus is making sure he's making painting this picture so that they understand, man, this is this is who I am. And he says, I am that gate. 
Right? Jesus says, man, if you try to get in through any other way, obviously if you're climbing over, you got in through any other way but through the, the narrow gate, through that entry point, you don't belong here and you're up to no good, right? You're a thief and a robber. Jesus is giving this picture, man, anyone entering in any other way but through this gate is a thief and a robber. He's telling this to the Pharisees, who instead of rejoicing over the healing of that blind man, instead of hearing and understanding who Jesus was, right, but grew more and more angry because their father is not of God, but their father is of the devil, chapter 8, right? But they, he's telling them, man, you are in fact thieves and robbers. And verse 6 tells us that they didn't understand this still, and so Jesus says it again. He says, truly, when you read scripture and you hear Jesus saying truly or truly, truly, he's repeating himself, man, that's a time to like listen up and pay attention. He means what he's saying. And so he says, truly, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Jesus says, I am the gate. And the versions you might read says, I am the door. But Jesus' claim here is to be the entry point, the only entry point. You gain access only through Jesus. And then we get to our key verses for today, verse 9 and 10. It's in, the, in your notes. It's going to be on the screen as well in a second. In verse 9, it says, then I am the gate. Anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus is making this exclusive claim. He's making this claim to be the entry point, the access point. And anyone else getting in any other way or claiming to have any other way is a thief and a robber. And thieves and robbers don't come for good. They come for to steal, to kill, to kill, and to destroy. So this brings us to our first point that I want us to see here in this Jesus, I am the gate statement. Verse 9, our first point in your notes, you can go ahead and fill it in. Salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is in Christ alone. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me, by me, right, he will be saved. So the religious leaders, you guys hearing this out, not by the set of rules or the laws that you're making people follow. Are, are they saved or you saved? Not by perfecting your standard of living, by living a morally, morally good life, are you saved? Not by the good works that you do, are you saved? Not by charity or living perfect, are you saved? Our security of salvation is in Christ alone. Amen. Our salvation is in Christ alone, and it is a secure salvation. Why? Because in Christ alone do we find forgiveness of our sins. It's in Christ alone that we find a love so great, a love so deep, a love that laid down his life because he has so loved you and I. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that cannot be separated, that we cannot be separated from. It's a great love. It's a deep love. It's a love that Christ has for us. And he says, enter by me, Jesus says, you will be saved. So it really isn't what's good for you, it's good for you, good for me, true for you, it's true for me. It's not one way, many ways to God, it is one way. No, it's not the same to follow the teachings of Muhammad or Buddha. It's not the same to follow the teachings of this religious leader. It's not all roads lead to heaven. Jesus is saying, man, if you come through me, you will be saved. Any other person who claims to have access to God apart from Jesus Christ is a thief. It's a thief. And so let that sit. What do you think about that statement? It's a thief. Salvation is in Christ alone. Later on in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says it this way. It's in your notes on the board as well on the screen. Jesus told them, he says, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the gate. Enter by me and you will be saved. Salvation is in Christ alone. Can we just say that nice and loud together? Salvation is in Christ alone. Go ahead. Salvation is in Christ alone. Number two, freedom is in Christ alone. It says, I am the gate. Anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Hear this. When you come to Jesus, you find shelter, you find protection in the shadow of his wings, but you also have the freedom to move about, to go in and go out. Why? Because you are his sheep, which is evidenced by the fact that you went through him, the gate. And so there's freedom in Christ for you and I. There's freedom to belong to the shepherd, that you know that he is guarding your coming and your going inside the pen, and he's also find freedom from the fears that are evident outside of that gate. Right? We have freedom, we have protection, we have security in Christ. We are protected, not only inside. Scripture tells us we are protected outside. It says this in Psalm 127, verses 7 through 8. It says, the Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and your going, both now and forever. Now and forever. You have freedom in Christ. But I don't want to miss this point here, guys. We're not only protected inside, right? But there's a requirement to go outside and a trust that God will get us, that God has us, that God protects us. But we are required not to stay indoors, but to go outdoors as well, guys. Listen, the church in Christianity is not a call to comfort within our walls, but we are called to leave our walls. And yes, we know that the Lord will protect us as we go and as we come. And so Jesus being the gate through which we enter and are saved, we find freedom in Christ alone, who is our shepherd. We know Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. I love that. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. What shall I want? He's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What do I want? The Lord is my shepherd. Then I'm free from all that seeks to keep me down and the fear and your anxiety and hatred and anger, etc. We have the Lord. If he's your shepherd, what else do you need? We have what I need. In Christ, I am safe from the thieves and the robbers that come to steal, kill, and destroy. Because in Christ alone, I found salvation. And in Christ alone, I find freedom. Because I know that in Christ, no thief can steal from the good shepherd. Amen? No thief can steal from the good shepherd. Your salvation is secured. You have freedom in Christ. In Romans 8, 1 and 2, it goes on and says this about your freedom in Christ. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. It says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, you will be saved. He will be saved. Salvation is in Christ alone. He will be saved and will come in and go out and find pastor. Freedom is in Christ alone. And number three in our notes, abundant life is in Christ alone. Abundant life is in Christ alone. Verse 10 goes on. It says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. It says, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Salvation is in Christ alone. Freedom is in Christ alone. But God does not stop there. Our God is just too good. Amen. Our God is just so good. See, his desire for your life is not just so that you be saved. 
It goes beyond that. Right? Though that surely would be enough because we don't deserve that alone, right? It would be enough if he just stops there and says, I saved you, good, now live your life. You don't even deserve that. We should praise him forever just for that alone, right? But he doesn't stop there. Freedom in Christ from all the condemnation, right? We have protection and safety in Christ, but that alone is not God's desire for your life. Your safety is not God's desire for your life. He goes even further and he says, because we are created for more than just our salvation, created for more than just freedom. He came to give us life, not just life as we might you know, think, but it says abundance, life in abundance. This is overflowing life. This is joyful living. This is deep joy. This is deep soul-satisfying joy. This is life that has been set free. This is life that can praise God through the mountains, through the valleys. This is a praise that can be offered to God in the midst of destruction and, and, and grief. This is, the, this is praise of God that no matter where you're at in life, you have abundance in life. You have the freedom in Christ. You have salvation in Christ. So no matter what you're going through, Christ has come to give you life. And it is a deep joy that nothing can steal or take or destroy. It is a deep soul satisfying joy. You see, Jesus did the work on the cross, right? He sets us free from the bondage of sin and death and dying on the cross and, and the resurrecting from the dead He's, after being buried in the tomb. Jesus did not just come for that. The Father's plans were not just to have Jesus accomplish that mission and leave us on his own. No, he continues to walk with you. He continues to live with you. He sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit. God, the spirit comes and he convicts and he guides and he leads you. Why? So that you and I can have more than just this life. We can have a deep, soul-satisfying life. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. There's a Greek word for abundance and it's, the Greek word is parasone meaning exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what one would expect or anticipate. So what does this abundant life look like then? What does it mean by abundant life? And so when we read that, man, before we get all up in arms, I'm like, man, abundant life, so then why am I not living out like in Hawaii or something? Right? Why am I not driving my dream car? Why am I not you know, pulling up to my dream home? What is this abundant life you talk about? Man, what is this about? Right? So before we start like questioning that, let's look at what Jesus is saying about, about abundant life. And, and we looked at in the last series, something we talked about in the series, series called Twisted. Here's a little thing, guys. If you hadn't catch any of the series, you can go on YouTube, and they're on Facebook. If you go to Sword Church, and I'm, putting, I'm checking all the marks today. And go on YouTube, and you can go ahead and type in Twisted, and you will find our... Um, our sermon series on that. So in that series, we talked about how do we how do we uh, study scripture? And one of the things we said, you want to study scripture with scripture, right? And so you want to look at other words, other other scriptures in the Bible, and you want to test what we are thinking is a correct interpretation with what does something, where does it say, what does it say about this, you know, in this place in the Bible, or what does God say in, in, in this book? And so we want to interpret scripture with scripture. So we're going to do that right now and to help us understand this. And so what we will learn about this type of abundant life in 1 Corinthians if you go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, um, we hear and read there that wealth, prestige, and power, position are not God's priorities. But we also read, he says, in fact, he chooses the, the, the foolish to shame the wise, right? And he chooses the weak of the world to shame the strong. And so when Jesus is talking about his abundant life, it is not talking about this material possession, abundance of material possession, we also know from scriptures that an abundant life is not a matter of physical circumstance of our lives, 
Because what? We all still have physical needs, ain't we? don't we? When we're in Christ. That's why Paul says this in Philippians 4, uh, verse 19. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, an abundant life does not come from this like sudden disappearance of all the needs that we have in life, right? But our abundant life comes from the God who will supply all our needs. You have needs, but you have a God who will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. An abundant life is life eternal, a life of eternity with Christ without death and pain and sorrow. John 17, this one is in your notes, it's on the screen. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. We said at the start of the series that it's all about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus, right? An abundant life is a life with Jesus. An abundant life is a life, a life in Christ alone. That's what we just read, that they would know the one who sent you sent, Jesus Christ. The question is, do you know this only true God? Do you know Jesus Christ? When you hear Jesus' very own claims to who he is, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate. What is your reaction to that? What is your response? And it's my prayer that our response will be the response that we're called to in the Bible. It's a response of repentance. The Bible calls us to acknowledge our sins and to turn from them, to repent of them, to move away from them, to, to, to put them behind, to move forward, to trust God. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that whoever the Bible says, whoever will confess their sins and turn from them, call on his name for salvation, ye will be saved. There is a guarantee of your, of, your, of your salvation in Christ, in Christ alone. There is a guarantee of your salvation in Christ. He will be saved. Though we sin and we all continue to sin, Christ's death on the cross is forever enough to clean, wipe clean your sins. And he pays the penalty for them and his death on the, in the, on the cross and his, his resurrection from the grave forever, forever, forever guarantees us a life resurrected with God our Father forever and ever. It's life eternal. Eternity. Salvation is in Christ alone. Freedom is in Christ alone. Abundant life is in Christ alone. Amen? Let's pray. My God, our God, our Father in heaven, we bless your name, we worship you, we praise you, we give you glory and honor, we thank you. We thank you for your words this morning, God. We thank you that, Lord, you declare that, God, you are the gate. You're the only way. You're the truth. You're the life. And so it is our prayer this morning, God, that, that we be challenged with your words, Father. And God, we'll be challenged with the way we live our lives, Lord, whether we hold to that truth, God, as it is true, you are the gate. You are the way. God, I pray that that would challenge us to examine the way we live our lives. Do we live it to glorify your name, God? Or are we out of other doors that open up that might uh, uh, deceive us, God? But we recognize when those doors open that they are not here for our good, but to kill, to steal, to destroy us. But God, you will hold us firm, Lord. That God, you would help us to, to cling on, to hear our shepherd's voice, to follow after you. That in you we have protection and safety. And in you we have a life, a life in abundance. God, I pray for our friends here today. God, I pray for those of us here who are challenged with these words, God. And we're on that, we're in that place right now, Lord, where we are, are questioning, God, whether you are, you are who you say you are. And Lord, I pray 
that God, you reveal, Lord, that you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. God, I pray that you would reveal to that person, God, that you are the only way to their salvation, God. That in you, God, they have abundance of life, Father. And I pray that you allow us, enable us, God, remove the blindness from our eyes, Lord, and allow us to repent of our sins, to turn from them, God, and to, to declare and to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And so, Father, may we be able to humbly just lay it down and say, Jesus Christ, we need you. We need you. No matter where we're at, God, we need you. I need you. Come, Lord. Take your place in my life. Guide me through this. Help me through, God. Surround me with my brothers and sisters and the church, God, to love me and to love you, to help me, God, to honor your name. God, may we be that family, Lord, too. God, we thank you. We pray all this in the one name, worthy of our praise and worship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.